You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. One day I understand. One day, go see the baby be born and come back. You're a major league baseball player. Did I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, see, don't answer. I mean, this, these are rhetorical questions because you know I told you and you know I'm Analytics bad. don't work at all. It's just a crap to some people who were really smart made up to try to get in the game because they had no talent. This kid is a gamer. He's a follower. He's a playmaker and a shot caller. In case you didn't know, I got T-Bow. He shattered the mold. And all he does is win. All, all, all he does is win. Hello and welcome to Hot Takedown, 538 Sports Podcast. I'm Chadwick Matlin, coming to you on Thursday rather than Tuesday because history happened last night and here to talk about it with me from calling in from the Upper East Side is Neil Payne, our sports writer and sports editor. Hello, Neil. Hey, Chad. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, Neil, how many sleep- hours of sleep are you on? Oh, gosh. Uh, probably a solid five. That's, okay. not, that's not bad. I listened to that pep yeah. in your voice because we watch history unfold, Neil. The Chicago Cubs beat the Cleveland Indians in the seventh game of the World Series, 8-7, to seven to end a 108-year drought in a game that had, like, if you want to show the platonic ideal of a baseball game to somebody, I think you <laughs> couldn't do much better in some ways, right? You had... You had incredible gutsy pitching performances at times. You had um, you had home runs. You had errors that led to funky, weird plays. You had every pitch mattering. You had a, a, the, the the hand of God coming down and forcing a rain delay. It seemed like that was that was baseball at its best. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I was thinking about uh, one of the talking points that we had kind of written about. Our uh, Rob Arthur, our colleague, especially had done research on was the time of the game. Uh, that that during this series and during the playoffs in particular, that these games sort of dragged on and that it wasn't maybe the best product to put forward. And then you had a game last night where I think from first pitch until the end of it was uh, nearly five hours. And yet I don't think on anyone's mind was, oh, this is taking forever. This is, you know, I wish this would be over with. It was kind of the good kind of, wow, this baseball kind of won't end and this is great. Right. So on today's emergency edition of Hot Takedown, we're going to talk about that Game 7, some of the tactics in it. We're going to talk about Theo Epstein and sort of his his legacy now that he's won world championships with two different teams, breaking two quote-unquote curses with those two different teams. And then we'll we'll sort of look back at the Cubs streak with with a Cubs fan, Oliver Rader, uh, uh, one of our uh, colleagues at 538, sort of put it in context of what this means for the city. Real quick, also before we get into all that... Um, uh, regular Hot Takedown listeners will uh, be expecting, and ahead of their time, Neil's uh, documentary series about athletes and coaches and others in sports who are ahead of their time and using statistics and analytics in um, in sports to make their teams or themselves better. That episode is coming later today, later this afternoon, so you will still get ahead of their time, this time on the two-handed backhand in tennis uh, later today. So, Neil, let's talk about Game 7. I want to talk about a few different tactical decisions that were made. Where to begin, really? I think let's start with how long Corey Kluber was in this game. Kluber had pitching on three days rest for this for the second straight time, so so three starts in all in the series. It was pretty clear early on that that his stuff wasn't making anybody miss essentially, and that didn't right. have the movement on it that that it had. And 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 yet Terry Francona left him in. I think after three runs were scored and after four runs were scored. 
it seemed to me like a pretty clear moment to pull him, but at the same time, Francona didn't have anyone to go to besides Allen and uh, and Miller, right? And so, uh, it, to me, last night, overall, the, the game was defined by depth, both on the Cubs side and on the Indians side, and the Indians lacking depth in pitching. Yeah, I mean, already you could see that uh, what we talked about being a strength of Francona and the Indians throughout the playoffs, this kind of unconventional bullpen use and kind of maybe going to the bullpen earlier than usual, that almost verged into maybe caricature uh, status uh, during Game 7 where they got to their closer, Cody Allen, in the sixth inning. They were bringing in uh, Andrew Miller, you know, in the, in the fifth. Uh, and so Kluber, you know, he, he did give up two home runs. He definitely was not the same on uh, short rest for the, uh, the, the second start that he made of the series on, on short rest versus he in, in his previous appearances. But at the same time, like you said, it's not really clear how they would have been able to, to kind of do things differently if they had pulled him earlier. Obviously, you can't know that this game is going to go into the 10th inning. So, uh, you know, you can't game that out. But, uh, but certainly by the end of the, the game, they were trotting out, you know, pitchers that perhaps had not seen high leverage situations or, or they did not feel great about using in high leverage situations. Uh, and asking even more from already kind of a threadbare pitching staff. So, you know, I, I, there's not a whole lot to second-guess about Francona's management of the bullpen, I don't think. Uh, maybe you could have said, oh, you know, after he uh, gave up, you know, I, I don't even know uh, wh- at what point, Chad, do you think that they probably should have pulled Kluber, I guess. I'll, I'll put the question to you. Yeah, it's a good question, Neil. I mean, in the fourth inning, the Cubs go up 3-1, to one. And Hayward pops out to end the inning. I don't think Kluber should come out for the fifth. That's when Baez hits the home run on on that high uh, pitch that that never quite uh, came high, came down or or uh, went high enough. And so and that's when Kluber gets pulled. Hindsight, obviously twenty twenty, but it does seem to me like he got hit. He was knocked around in the fourth. Shouldn't come out in the fifth, and then you save a run basically. So let let's move on to talk about some curious decisions on the Cubs' part. From where I sit, Neil. The Cubs won in spite of Joe Madden's management, and that extends to be beyond last night's game in particular uh, to uh, Aroldis Chapman coming in in Game Six, despite uh, the the Cubs having a, a big lead and the lead only growing once Chapman's on the mound. You then have Chapman in the game, and he lets up three runs as a result. Uh, maybe not as a result. Excuse me. That's what I want to ask you about. Do you is there any way we can tell whether or not Chapman would have let up runs otherwise if he had had more rest. That's that sort of feels like a impossible question to answer. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it is a little bit of an impossible question, but I do agree with you uh, that that um, Joe Madden, for all of his sort of, uh, he's been the darling of sabermetricians as a manager over the years. We even highlighted him in an episode of Ahead of Their Time about his willingness to use the shift and kind of do these progressive things. He got outmanaged pretty badly, I think, all series long by Terry Francona, who is kind of secretly also one of the longtime great proponents of, of sabermetric and, and kind of just, you know, smart management uh, going back to his days with the Red Sox. And uh, the Chapman thing was just so puzzling when he brought Chapman in to get the final out of the seventh inning in game six. 
they they did have uh, the Indians had a runner on second base, but it was still only a moderately you can't even call it moderately high leverage situation. It, there's this thing called leverage index, which we probably talked about before, that measures the potential swing and win probability of the game based on the kind of you know potential uh, things that can happen in the situation. And uh, it's on a scale where a, a leverage of one is just a normal, average, everyday situation, you know, kind of like a first inning or something like that. So numbers below one mean that it's less pressure than your normal situation. And when Chapman came in in the seventh inning of game six uh, with a runner on second base and two outs, that carried a leverage index of 0.6. That means that it was actually 40% lower, a lower pressure situation than a normal, average baseball situation. So with a five-run lead, uh, it just made no sense to bring Chapman in, in my opinion. If you're Joe Madden and you're kind of analyzing, well, why would we have Chapman in the game in, you know, game seven of the World Series? And why would this be kind of our trump card? Uh, the, the fact that he can throw this insanely fast fastball that practically no one else in baseball history can throw. That's the whole reason you went out and got a role this Chapman at the trade deadline is to use him in a situation like that at kind of peak ability, not to waste him in a low leverage situation in game six so that he is kind of a, a shell of his normal self in game seven when you really do need him. I can hear that Neil Payne anger building about, about Joe Bannon's managerial choices. So we should note, though, that in, in the crucial at-bat, against Rajay Davis in the bottom of the eighth when Davis hits the home run that ties up the game. It was it was a it was a fastball at bat that, that Chapman threw. It was one fastball after another, seven pitches total, all of them 14 fastballs. But as you say, Neil, none of them were at hit tri- uh, triple digits. The highest was 99.6, and Davis was fouling it off, fouling it off, and the one that he hits out is a 97-mile-an-hour fastball which is the 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 lowest um tied for the lowest pitch that he saw right, that at that's, bat. Like cha- that's like a change up by <laughs> a oldest chapman standard um and so uh so yeah so that is um so it does seem like chapman and we saw this with kluber we saw it with miller who also did not look good and let up a couple runs in general it did seem like the the, the attrition really got to this world series in a really interesting way that actually to me didn't take away from the quality of the series, and we've spoken about um, the, the the rush during the postseason to try and use uh, closers and good relie- good relievers earlier in the game throughout this postseason, especially on the part of the Cleveland Indians and in the World Series on, on both teams' part. And we, to me, we did see we did begin to see some of the downside, or at least the boundary of how far you can push. Uh, relievers in in this game and starters, if you include Kluber, and and I think that as we have the conversation, as as sabermetricians have the conversation about how much uh, how 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 much you should be relying on your best players versus some players just to get you through, especially in high leverage situations. Some some of this fatigue does need to be factored in somehow, even though we may not have great numbers aside from velocity dips. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, we did see kind of the the great things about being able to use your bullpen in uh, an unconventional way. And then maybe we also saw the dark side of it and kind of what happens when you, because, because all of this is about trying to kind of uh, know when to pace yourself and when to go all out. And uh, typically, you know, you're not, maybe not anticipating, especially if you're Terry Francona and you're up three, one, 
not anticipating maybe having to go to that seventh game. If you're Joe Madden, you you want to go to that seventh game, and you right. want to, you know, you, that's the only way that you win the World Series. So, so I want to do one more managerial thing, and then we, we should get on to Theo Epstein and, and, and the Cubs streak overall. That bunt by Baez with a man on third and one out with, the, with, with two strikes <laughs> after Hayward advances to third because of uh, an error by the catcher. David Ra, uh, by excuse me, by the catcher. I think Jan Gomes was in by that point. It it's indefensible, right? Like I, from from a from a analytics standpoint, real quick, the guy should be tr- trying to swing the bat or get on and trying to get a sacrifice sacrifice fly or extend the line, the inning, right? Yes, I I hated that decision, and uh, like maybe if Baez had practiced that very specific you know, kind of safety squeeze situation where they were, you know, had Hayward sort of get a running start. It wasn't like he was full on, you know, doing the suicide squeeze. But, like, only if you would practice that and you felt extremely confident. I'm not even sure how confident you would have to feel in order to pull that off with with two strikes. Baez did not have a 0% chance of making contact if he just swung Mm -hmm. like normal. And and in that situation... The way he swings like normal sometimes. I mean, yes, exactly. (laughs) But I'm saying, you know, unless he is uh, like totally incapable of shortening right. the swing and, and, and playing situational baseball, any ball in play in that situation or just about any ball in play would have scored a run uh, or, or at least given you the opportunity to score a run. And, and the one thing that you right. wanted to avoid at all costs is the strikeout. Okay, so let's move on from, uh, from Joe Madden's craziness and, and note that he should maybe not get the credit that he deserves as as a sabermetric-inclined manager after this series. But let's move on to Theo Epstein real quick. Um, here he is. He's won with the Red Sox. He's won with the Cubs. Neil, is this Cubs team as good as that Red Sox team that shocked the world in 2004 or, or even better? Yeah, uh, so I think that, uh, first of all, if you look at the the metrics that kind of define a team, whether it's run differential or just total wins above replacement, uh, accrued by the roster, this Cubs team was pretty easily better than that 2004 curse-breaking Red Sox team. And what I think is really interesting is how they ended up being that much better than than that team. Uh, if you look at the age of the team, this Cubs team is younger than the than the Red Sox, significantly so, uh, and, and have been with the team less time. Uh, and that's one of the big reasons why, you know, the betting markets, they love to do this the night that a, uh, a championship is won, come out with, oh, well, here are the, the favorites to win next season. So, you know, back in June, the, the Warriors lose to the Cavs. There's this little, like, weird situation where it's like, oh, but the Warriors are still favored to win next year. They're the paper champions of next year. In this case, the Cubs won the championship and they were the paper champions of next year. And I think it does have to do with that young talent and the way in which the team was built. All right, so let's let's leave it there and, and bring in our, our colleague Oliver Rader, a lifelong Cubs fan. Ollie, are you there? Hi, Chad. Hi. Ollie, I hear I hear in your voice, in just that little snippet, just how happy you are on this Thursday morning. I've never had a hangover that felt so good, Chad. <laughs> Uh, so, Ollie, we have five minutes, and I, I'm tempted to just leave those five minutes to you so you can go on a sort of epic rant of how, you know, you were born into a Cubs life and you were raised a Cubs fan in Iowa, and, and this is this is the culmination of a lifetime of, of pain and suffering. But, but what I really want to know 
was it everything you thought it would be? Yeah. So I I watched the game, and I was uh, I had my TV, and I was video chatting with uh, my best friend from back home, uh, Sam, and I I have never gotten more text messages in my entire life than I got last night, and just this sort of community aspect of it was just amazing. I mean, more so than watching the game, just talking to family, talking to friends during the game and after. Um, yeah, it's hard to describe, but I, I think it it was it was worth it. You know, I'm young. There's people who have suffered a lot a lot longer than than I have, but um, it was worth 31 years of of heartbreak. Absolutely. So. You know, I even felt emotional watching the Cubs win. I wasn't even rooting for the Cubs by the end of that game. And I do, I, I Neil, I'm curious if you know, you, Neil, you are a history guy. You you love, uh, you love the history of sports and, and and sort of whether or not something has ever happened before and and how rare something is to happen, given what we've seen before. And what struck me watching the Cubs win was that maybe in baseball in particular the arc of time just seems like it operates in a different way, maybe because the game doesn't have any time limits and they play so many games. But, you know, to watch, to watch a franchise sort of ascend to this, to this uh, higher place that they've been trying to get to for 108 years, it, it, there seemed to be something more than just, you know, the seven games that we had watched played, obviously. Oh, yeah. And, and also just the way in which it was so difficult. I think it underscores, uh, how hard it is to win a World Series in general, uh, and also, you know, the Cubs not having done it in so long. Uh, it, it just kind of added on the, the way in which, you know, they had the lead, and then it, even that wasn't enough. And then there was this rain delay, and it kind of made things drag out even longer. And even when they retook the lead in the 10th inning, uh, th- that got cut in half, and it, was, it came down to the final thing but uh, it, it really what struck me in that final moment was that like Chris Bryant I think defines this team in, in a lot of ways and not just because of how good he is but just how like his demeanor he was and, smiling and attitude, as he threw that ball at he first was smiling before like as the ball came off the bat and was and was coming toward him he was smiling it was it was almost like an I got this we got this in this moment uh, attitude and so, feeling and I thought that that was like so uh, so different than anything that had ever kind of preceded Ollie, that uh, in, in that Cubs narrative. Ollie, as a Cubs fan, what what player is going to be the defining one for you of, of this team? Is it Bryant? Is it Rizzo? Is it uh, Arietta? Who is it? Well, I think in, in the playoffs, for me, I mean, he didn't have the best World Series, especially he made a couple errors, but ba- Javi Baez was just, I mean, talk about smiling, just the energy and emotion he brought um, I, I just every time he got the ball, it seemed like something something amazing happened. And I think one thing about about a lot of these Cubs, right, is is they're they're younger than me, right. So I think that uh, a, a bit of the heartbreak history is, is kind of lost on them, right? Like, but in a good way, they don't, you know, they're not like carrying that around with them. And I mean, Bias just looks like you know he's playing on the sandlot and i think one of the one of the best moments from the game last night was uh rizzo as soon as he caught the final out uh stuck the ball in his back pocket um 
So he knew uh, he knew what it meant, and yeah, I, I'm not sure what he, what he'll do with the ball, but uh, I thought that was pretty special. Yeah, I wonder what the ownership rights are for for uh, final outs in, in the World Series. All right, we have to leave it there because we are re- being kicked out of the studio any moment now. Oliver Raider, thanks for coming on to chat about your Cubbies. Thanks, guys. Go Cubs. <laughs> Cubs go. Uh, Neil Payne, thanks for uh, calling in and chatting some baseball early this Thursday morning. Thanks, Chad. This is, I guess, our last baseball chat for a while. Oh, the offseason is already here. Is Cespedes going to opt out of the Mets? <laughs> we got lots to discuss. Not to worry. Uh, Cespedes is going to opt out, of course. All right, that will do it for this week's show. Neil, thanks again. Our podcast producer is Joe Sykes. Our podcast MVP is Jody Avergan. We got production assistance from Tony Chow and Jorge Estrada this morning. You can email us at podcast at 538.com. We would love to hear what you think about Hot Takedown, about Heather Time, about anything really, about the Cubs winning. Uh, find us on your favorite podcasting apps. We are, of course, on iTunes as well. You can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. While you're there, be sure to review and or rate the show. It helps others discover the program. Our theme song is by Mystery Mansion. I'm Chadwick Matlin. Talk to you in 108 years. <laughs>